morning. Had a great time at VBS this past week. How many people were involved in the VBS? Raise your hand. All right, good job. Nobody raised their hand. It's like they're all resting at home and, and we're, we're here. Got a, gained a new respect for uh, our Sunday school teachers. I thought like elementary kids would just, you would just like, uh, hey, do that. And they went, yes, sir, and do it. That's not always the case. That's, it's kind of weird. Uh, my kids certainly behave that way. When they, no, I'm just kidding. They didn't. Uh, so new respect and, and, uh, and just a plug for new elementary school teachers to give those that are down there every week a break. That would be great. Uh, when my wife Christine and I lived in uh, South Carolina, we were there for two years during seminary, we participated in a church program called Evangelism Explosion or EE for short. Once a week, we'd go door to door in a group of us, usually four or so, would go door to door uh, sharing the gospel, just knock on someone's door, cold, cold turkey knock, cold, that's not it, cold call knock. And as, as part of this program, as part of EE, I learned something called a, a diagnostic question, Okay? This is a question you use to help discern a person's spiritual condition. So after some initial conversation, uh, here's the question we would usually ask. Suppose you were to die today and stand before God, and He were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? A little morbid, I know we're going for death, but it gets to the heart of the matter. It quickly determines what someone believes about their salvation. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment for yourself. How would you answer this question? Why should God let you into heaven? You don't need to shout out any answers. Just think about it for a second. Now, I've found in South Carolina, going door-to-door, and since then, because I continue to use that question as I talk to people, I found people have two basic answers to the question. The first focuses on what they've done or, or, or not done to earn heaven. The most common answer is some variation of this. God will let me into heaven because I've been a good person. You guys know this stuff. And then a list of good things they'd they'd done or bad things they hadn't done would follow. I take care of my wife and my kids. I give to charity. I work hard at my job. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't steal. I've never killed anyone. Well, that's great. Thanks. Some people uh, would list the religious things they'd done. I go to church. I go to the temple. I go to the mosque. I give money when they pass the plate. I go to confession. I take communion. I read and I try to obey the Bible or the Quran or the, the teachings of Buddha. I pray every day, especially when I'm in trouble. Others would acknowledge their doubts. Well, well I'm not sure if God would let me into heaven. I, I've done some pretty bad stuff, but I, but I believe my good works uh, will, will make up for, will outweigh my bad works. So God will probably let me into heaven. So that summarizes the first kind of answer. It focuses on what you've done or not done to earn heaven. The second answer is a little more straightforward. It focuses on what you believe God, through Christ, 
has done to get you into heaven. God will let me into heaven because I believe. I put my faith in. I put my trust in Him and in His Son, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and my Savior. I've trusted in Jesus, His death on the cross, to pay the penalty for my sin. So the two basic answers to the question of why God should let you into heaven, either focus on what you've done or not done, or your faith in what Jesus has done for you. Now, if you've been with us uh, through our study in Romans, then you know which answer Paul would endorse. He spent, if you're with us, 74 verses from Romans chapter 1, verse 18, to chapter 3, verse 20, showing that all humanity is incapable of being righteous, of being good at good, or good enough for God. In Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, he kind of summarizes it this way. All, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That sort of eliminates the possibility of your your good works outweighing your bad works, right? Paul doesn't believe you or me or anyone can get to heaven based on who they are or what they've done or what they've avoided doing. He would reject that first answer. But he would endorse the second. That's what we saw last week. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. 26. Look at, uh, at verses 23 through 25. They sort of summarize it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. That's what we looked at last week. Yes, we've all sinned. We've not glorified God. We've rejected God. We've replaced Him with something else. But by God's loving grace, by His unmerited favor, as a gift that we don't deserve, we can be justified. There were a number of words last week. I'll just summarize them here for us that, that are sort of these theological terms we have. That word justified means just to be declared right before God, to be declared righteous, to be declared sinless before God. And the thing is, we must be righteous, the Bible teaches, for, for a holy God to allow us into His presence. To, for God to allow us into heaven, we have to be righteous. We have to be right with Him. So how does this holy, righteous God justify an unrighteous people? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, Paul says. Redemption means to deliver or release by the payment of a ransom. Jesus Christ became our ransom. On the cross, He paid the price for our sins. He released us from our guilt. He released us from our condemnation. He saved us from the wrath of God that, will become, that comes upon all unrighteousness. How did He do this? By being put forward as this word that we hear, propitiation. As a propitiation. We talked about it last week. That word propitiation means to satisfy, to cover, to atone for. Jesus on the cross became the sacrifice for our sins. He shed His blood that we might be forgiven. Through Christ, our sins are covered. They're atoned for. The blood of Christ satisfies. It pays the ransom for God's holy anger against human sin. 
through Christ, we're released from our sin and we're declared righteous before God. It's by the grace of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we can be justified, that we can be made right with God, that we can be in His presence in heaven for all eternity. But Paul makes it clear, to receive this justification, we must have faith. All that God's grace freely offers is only received by those who put their faith in Him. We must have faith to be right before God and enter into heaven. That's what we saw last week. But the problem is, this answer that Paul gives, this answer that the Bible teaches, this idea of grace, uh, we're saved by grace through faith, is contrary to what the vast majority of humanity believes. When asked, how will you get into heaven, most, people an- most people's answer focuses in that first category. Focuses on their own efforts. On doing the right things and avoiding the wrong things. Things defined by their religion or, or their personal beliefs. Because religion, in general, e- even what, uh, what is called Christianity by some, teaches that you must follow a path. You must obey these rules. You must do these things and not do other things if you're to get to heaven. Make it to paradise. Enter nirvana. Achieve personal satisfaction. Whatever the goal is, the destination might be different depending on the religion, but the way to get there is basically the same. Do good and avoid bad. Do good and and pay for your bad. In Thailand, there's a saying. Thailand is 96% Buddhist. Three point something percent Muslim and a little bit of other, including Christians. And there's a saying there. Is anybody here speak Thai? Great. No one's going to know when I mess this up. It's, it goes like this Tuksasana komun kan. Tuksasana san hai kon bin kondi. That's pretty good, huh? That is not what it means. Nice, nice try. I wasn't asking for a response. Only because you're my dad do I even call on you. That's crazy. That, that, that means, and this is Thai, 96% Buddhist, and, and he's right. The Thai people say to be Thai is to be Buddhist. But they also say every religion is the same. They all teach you to be a good person. It seems that we, by default, believe that justification, being declared right, salvation, heaven, must be earned by our own good works, our own efforts. And you might think, well, isn't that noble? I mean, doesn't it seem right that God should do, it doesn't seem right that God should do all the work and and we should receive the benefits by, by faith? Shouldn't I be responsible for my own salvation? Should, but, but there's a big problem with that. We saw it already. We are sinners. No one is righteous. No one does good. First of all, we can't do it. And therefore, it's safe to say any desire to be noble by earning our salvation is really a disguise for our own pride. And this is what Paul will address in our passage for today. He's, he's established justification by faith. 
He's made it clear that justification, being declared righteous, is a gift from God received by faith. And therefore, he says, justification by faith excludes boasting. That's our first point this morning. Justification by faith excludes boasting. In verse 27, he asks the question. Then, followed by what we just saw, how we're saved through Christ, then what becomes of our boasting? That word boasting literally means the act of glorifying, the act of bringing glory to, of exalting. And in this case, it's glorifying yourself. We are prone to pride, to want our own glory. If you go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 22, Paul writes this about all of humanity. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. In our boasting about our wisdom, oh, I'm so wise, we become fools. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and, and creeping things. In our pride, we exchange God's glory for images, for idols of our own making. We invent gods. We invent religions of our own liking. Gods and religions that allow us, humanity, to be the focus of our own salvation. We are so prone to want people to see what we've done and to glorify us. Oh, look how good and, and, and holy and righteous she is. Look how well he obeys the commands of God. Look at what she's given. Look at what she's sacrificed for Jesus. Look at how much he knows about the Bible. So it's no wonder that we invent gods and religions and systems that focus on our works. It's no wonder that we believe our salvation depends on our own efforts. It's no wonder we want to boast in our own accomplishments for God. Oh, look what I've done for God. But Paul says, then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. There's no boasting, no pride, no personal glory to be found in salvation by grace through faith. If you're saved by grace as a gift from God through faith, then what do you have to boast about? Boasting and, and pride, your goal, glory are excluded. That word excluded means... Uh, to shut out, or to, to close off. It's like, it's, it's, it's like we want boasting, uh, uh, it's like we want to boast about being declared righteous. But justification by grace through faith shuts out boasting. Boasting is trying to get in, but the doors are locked. There's a closed sign on the window. Boasting is excluded. And then Paul asks the question. He asks and then he answers the question. Verse 27 continues, by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Paul is asking, by what kind of law is boasting excluded? What does the law teach about our justification? What does the law teach about how you become righteous before God? And he gives two possibilities. Does the law teach that we are justified by the law of works? This is what most people believe. This is what uh, even Christians believe the Old Testament teach, teaches. That in the Old Testament, they were justified by their works, by obeying the law. We'll talk about that next, more that next week. And if that's the case, then boasting is, is allowed. You can boast. If, if, 
if I work, if I earn, if, if I obey for my justification, then I have something to boast about. But Paul says no. He says the law, the Old Testament teaches justification by grace through faith, by the law of faith. Therefore, boasting is excluded. Again, next week, we'll look at chapter 4. Paul will use the example of Abraham to show that from the beginning, Father Abraham, from Abraham, the first sort of uh, Jew, justification by faith was how you were saved. But in verse 28, he makes it clear that the works of the law have no part in our justification, in our salvation. He says, justification by faith eliminates works. That's our second point. Now, I don't mean by, by, by that that those who are justified, if you're justified by faith, uh, you don't have to do good works. That's not what I mean. The Bible teaches that true faith will always result in good works. Uh, James says, faith apart from works is dead. James is saying, the Bible is teaching that works always fall, good works, good deeds, always follow and demonstrate true faith. So I don't mean faith, uh, so I don't mean having faith means you don't do works. What I mean is works are eliminated from our justification by faith. Works are, are, have no part in our justification by faith. Our works do not earn our justification. They do not make us righteous. It's not through doing good works that we become right before God. Even though, and I know we, we all, we're getting, we know the right answer, but what about in the back of our mind as we're doing something? We even say it, I'm doing this for the Lord, right? And we're thinking, oh, God's, God's shining on me now because I'm doing, the, God loves me more because I'm doing this thing now. But Paul says, verse 28, for we hold, we believe, we, him, the apostles, we teach that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Justification is received only by those who have faith apart, underline apart, from the works of the law. Now that phrase apart from the works of the law is crucial to our understanding of justification. Let me explain it this way. Remember I said there are two basic answers to the question, suppose you were to die today and stand before God, and he were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Two basic answers. Either your answer involves who you are and what you've done to earn your salvation, or your answer involves who you believe Christ is and what he's done to provide you with salvation. However, there's a third category of answers that I didn't mention, but I've heard often. The third category of answers is really a hybrid of the first two. It combines works, category one, with faith in Christ, category two. It says, yes, I must have faith in Christ to get into heaven, but I must also earn my way. It's like Christ opens the door on the cross, Christ opened the door to heaven. He made it possible, but I must do good works to get in. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, God should let me into heaven because I believe in Jesus and have lived a good life. And the thing we need to see is that Paul does not say, the Bible does not teach, 
for we hold that one is justified by faith along with the works of the law. I, I just misquoted it there, right? The Bible says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. That word apart, again, it's crucial. It means to be separate from or without. Justification does not come by faith and works. It comes by faith apart from works. Works are shut out. They have no part in our justification. And just to be clear, that's what he's focusing on right now, our justification, our salvation. He's not talking about our sanctification, our growing in Christ, and how good works help in that. He's talking about what's the requirement for justification. And it's apart from the law. And the reason he's emphasizing that is because all of humanity, including the Jews, believed it was along with the... You had to do the works of the law to be saved. Again, and it might seem noble for you to add something to what Christ has done for you. But know this. Trying to add to the perfect work of Christ is not noble. It's presumptuous and it's prideful and it's sin. Christ on the cross said, it is finished. And therefore, trying to add anything to what Christ has done for you is blasphemy. It would be like saying, good job getting started, Jesus. Good job getting us going. But I can take it from here. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Trying to make yourself in any way part of the justification that Christ has provided you would be like trying to add to a great work of art. Picture one of the greatest works of art of all time. I'm not an art history major or an art critic. I just uh, I can Google on the internet. One of the greatest works of all time, art, is the Mona Lisa, right? We've all heard, we've all seen. Now, if I looked at, at the Mona Lisa and I said, good job, Da Vinci, way to go. Love the smile. But you know what, Leo? Uh, I think I can add something to what you've started. I can update it a little. I can, I can bring it into the future. If I had my way, the Mona Lisa might end up look, looking something like this. It's no longer a work of art, is it? It's no longer a work of art by Leonardo da Vinci. It's, it's ruined. It's, a, it's just a ridiculous parody. A reflection not of da Vinci's talent, but of my foolishness, right? And my point is, if we try adding anything to Christ's finished work on the cross, it will not be what God intended. It will be ruined. It will no longer justify. It will no longer save. It will be a ridiculous parody, a reflection not of God's righteousness, but of my foolish pride. Because that's really our motivation for wanting to earn at least in part, our own salvation. We want to put our signature on the painting right along there with God. We want God and others to say, good job, man. You lived a good life. You cared about people. You sacrificed for God. You, my friend, deserve heaven. We want our own glory. But justification by grace through faith in Christ is not for my glory. It's not for my glory. It's for God's glory. It's apart from the works of the law. Realize that it's the one who does the work it's the one, is the one who receives the glory. And so, if we try to add to what God has done for us through Christ, 
we're not only ruining His great work of salvation, we're robbing Him of the glory that only He deserves. And that takes us back to justification by faith excludes boasting to our first point. Because if we were justified by faith and works, then we would have something to boast about. We could boast in our part, in our works, in the good life that earned this, this ticket through the door that Jesus opened. But, Paul point, but Paul's point is that there can be no boasting in our own salvation because justification is by grace through faith in Christ alone. The works of the law, obedience to the law, doing good works, do not make us righteous. Works play no part in our justification. And Paul says, this is seen in the fact. He then gives a little evidence. He says, uh, it's logical because, check this out, justification by faith embraces everyone. Third point. And that's not to say that everyone will be justified by faith. It's to say that justification by faith is available to all. Paul has just said that one is justified by faith apart from works. The works of the law. And then in verse 29 he writes, Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Paul, he's saying that justification is by faith apart from the works of the law because if it were based on the works of the law, then the Gentiles who don't have the law would not be able to be justified. And God would not be the God of the Gentiles as well as the God of the Jews, but God is the God of all. He says that's not the case. Verse 30 makes it plain. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. In other words, there is one God over everyone, over all the nations, over the Jews, over the Gentiles. And there is one way that everyone can get right with this one God, and namely, that is by faith. And to emphasize the fact that, that, that justification does not come through works of the law, Paul brings up one of the foundational laws of Judaism, and that is circumcision. He says that both the circumcised Jews and the uncircumcised Gentiles will be justified through faith. Neither Jews nor Gentiles will be justified by the works of the law, by any works of the law, including circumcision. Paul's point is the fact that Gentiles who do not receive the law, who don't have the law, who were not circumcised, the fact that they're justified by faith shows that justification does not and cannot involve works of the law. That justification by faith embraces. It is available to everyone. Or should I say, justification by faith embraces everyone who has faith. Faith is crucial. I would say, and I will say, faith is our part. But we'll see why that's not quite accurate in just a moment. But we need to focus a little bit on faith, right? Justification by faith is the only kind of justification there is. I hope, we, I hope that's clear. There's not another way. There's not a, a Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. One way, justification by faith. The only way to be justified, declared righteous, and to be saved from your sin is through faith. And so I want us to conclude today 
and, and I want us to make sure we understand what the Bible means, not what might be spinning around in our heads, but what the Bible means by faith. Understanding biblical faith. We've talked about faith, we've sort of assumed it a little bit, but let's end by making it clear what faith is. And we'll begin by defining faith. In the New Testament, the English word faith is the Greek word pistis. It means to believe in, uh, to be assured of, uh, to trust in. Faith is a sure conviction and trust that something is true. Faith in general. And Hebrews 11.1 sort of defines faith this way. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By defining faith as assurance and conviction, the author of Hebrews is saying that faith is not, it's not wishful thinking. Sometimes we, 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 we say, I have faith in something, it's like we're hoping it will happen. I really have faith in this person that they will be a great employee, the employer says, and then they bomb out, right? I, I just have faith. There's something about them. It's kind of like this wishful thinking. But the Bible defines it as a sure confidence that something, uh, that something in the future will take, pa- take place. Something that is, is yet to be seen. Something that hasn't happened yet. Something that's been promised by God will actually come to pass. So biblical faith is not blind faith in the face of, in the face of no evidence or contrary evidence. It's not an unknowable leap in the dark. We don't take a leap of faith. Instead, biblical faith is a confident trust in the eternal God. It's based on the evidence of who God is that we see through creation, that we see through His Word, that He is all-powerful, infinitely wise, eternally trustworthy, and therefore we can have faith, assurance, confidence in who He is and what He said He will do. And that leads us to receiving faith. How do we receive faith? How do we have faith? Some people think that, that if you try hard enough, if you, if you, you know, muster up like, the, like positive thinking or something, you can, you can in some way in yourself gain or produce or receive faith. Others say that, I guess some people are just born with uh, this personality that allows them to have faith. Others don't. But in both cases, the emphasis is, the emphasis is, That's not a word. The emphasis is on our, on humanity's ability to have faith. Faith comes from within. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible talks about two ways that you receive faith. And I believe these two ways are actually linked together. They work together. First, faith comes through God's Word. In Romans chapter 10, 17, Paul writes, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. As we read, I mean, excuse me, as we hear, or as we read, as we study the word of Christ, the word of God, we receive faith. And this is uh, kind of logical even. If, if biblical faith is based on who God is, and what God has promised then we must go to the revelation of who God is and we must see what He has promised to receive the faith. So to have faith, to receive faith, we must hear the Word of God. And that takes us to the second way we receive faith. We receive faith from God. When we hear His Word, He, he gives us faith. 
He gives us faith to believe what He says. To believe in Him. We've talked about grace being a gift from God, but the Bible also teaches that faith is a gift. Famous verse, Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. The whole process is a gift of God. The gift of God in the original Greek refers back to both grace and faith. Grace and faith are divine gifts. And the fact that faith is a gift from God is reinforced by our passage from today, right? Because if, if we in some way are responsible even for our own faith, if faith was something we created in ourselves, if it could be attributed, attributed to us through, through our own reasoning or logic or whatever, then we could have something to boast, be boast about. We could say, I played a part. I, I had the faith. Look at me. I have faith. I, I'm, you know, I'm 50%. God supplies the grace. I supply the faith. We're good. But the fact that faith along with grace is a gift from God, that it's not of our own doing, excludes all boasting. No chance. And therefore, God receives all the glory for our salvation. Because it's through God and through His Word that we receive faith. And that brings us finally to exercising faith. What I mean by exercising faith is actually putting your trust in God. And what He did through His Son, Jesus Christ. There comes a time when you must believe. When you must put your faith in Jesus Christ. When in your your mind and your heart, you trust who He is and you receive Him as your Lord and your Savior. And it's when we exercise our God-given faith that we're justified, that we're declared righteous. It's then that we enter into this eternal relationship with God in heaven. Paul in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 9, 9 and 8 and 9, describes the process of exercising your faith this way. He says, The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaimed. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Paul says, we, he and others, uh, have proclaimed the word of faith. The, the, the people have heard the word of God, the word of Christ. And this morning, the word of faith has been proclaimed again. In this church, it's being proclaimed in churches throughout the world. And God gives faith through the proclamation. Uh, the, the preached word of God, the, even the reading the word of God, is the means God uses to generate faith, to give us faith. And now is the time to exercise that faith. To confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe. That Greek uh, believe is, is just a, a, a form of the, the word faith. It means to have faith in. To have faith in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And that God raised Him from the dead. Proving, giving evidence to the fact that Jesus is who He claimed to be. Having faith that Jesus willingly became a sacrifice for your sins. And if you exercise the faith that God has given you today, then you will be saved. You'll be justified, declared righteous before God. And that brings us full circle, doesn't it? Back to the question we began with. Suppose you were to die today and stand before God, and He were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Think about how you 
would have answered that at the beginning of this message. Maybe your answer focused a little bit on yourself, on your good works, what you've done or not done to earn God's favor. Or maybe your answer was a combination of what Christ has done and and what you've done to earn heaven. But now you've heard the word of Christ, the word of God. And if God, by His grace, has given you uh, faith to believe, to believe not in yourself, but in Christ alone, then I would encourage you to exercise that faith today. To embrace the truth that God has revealed to you through His Word. To give your life to Jesus Christ. To fully give your life to Christ. The One who died in your place. To put your faith in Him alone. To trust in Him for your salvation. Because if you do, that's when you're justified. You'll be redeemed and released from your sin and guilt and condemnation. And if someday God asks you, why should I let you into heaven? You'll be able to say, not because of who I am, not because of anything I've done, but because I put my faith in Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And therefore I've been justified, declared righteous by your grace. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your gift of a Savior who who justified us, who redeemed us, who was a sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Lord, you did all of that by grace, out of your loving grace, because you love us. Lord, and I pray for myself, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, that we would put, they would, we would trust you for the faith that we've received, and we would put that faith in you. That we would give ourselves to you, that we would give our lives to you. Lord, thank you uh, for your gift. Lord, allow us to, to trust in it today. In Christ's name, amen.